there has been another mass shooting. Christy, to you. Yeah, I'm Christy Paul. Victor, thank you. We went to sleep with the news of those 20 people dead in El Paso. You are waking up now. I am so sorry to tell you to nine more people who've been killed in a second mass shooting, this time Dayton, Ohio. You're one of the best. You got the best. The hottest podcast in the world. True Crime Monkey. On Saturday night, August 3rd, 2019, most Dayton, Ohio residents went to bed trying to comprehend why a maniac went into a Walmart in El Paso, Texas earlier that day and killed 23 people in a mass shooting. But by the time Daytonians would wake up Sunday morning, they would have to deal with another mass shooting. But this time, it was in our own backyard, Dayton's Oregon District. The Dayton, Oregon District is an historic area of Dayton, Ohio. It's one of the earliest surviving combinations of commercial and residential architecture in the city. Examples of Dayton's architectural history from 1820 to 1915 line the brick streets and lanes of this 12 square block area. Victorian, Queen Anne, Greek Revival, and federal style buildings and residences reflect the affluence of the area in the mid to late 1800s and early 1900s. The district is populated with art galleries, specialty shops, coffee houses, pubs, and nightclubs. But it was on August 4th, 2019, that Dayton's Oregon District would be in the limelight, not only nationally, but worldwide, but for all the wrong reasons. At 1.05 a.m., 24-year-old Connor Stephen Betts opened fire not only on those walking on the sidewalk, but in particular those waiting in line to enter Ned Pepper's Bar at 419 East 5th Street. Betts would kill nine people, including his own sister, and injure another 27 people before being gunned down by Dayton police, all in a span of only 32 seconds. At around 11 p.m. Saturday night, Betts and his sister Megan and another friend are seen entering Blind Bob's, a bar in the Oregon district. At about 12.13 a.m., Betts splits from the other two and was recorded leaving the bar and goes to Ned Pepper's, the eventual site of the shooting. After spending about 30 minutes inside Ned Pepper's, he is then seen leaving the bar and heading to where his car was parked, just a short distance down Fifth Street in a parking lot behind Omega Records. Unknown by those who had ridden along with Betts to the Oregon District that night, he had already loaded his trunk with body armor, a mask, hearing protection, and a highly modified 223 caliber Anderson Manufacturing AM-15 in a pistol configuration with a shortened barrel and equipped with a 100-round drum magazine. Betts then changed his clothes, put on the body armor, and after waiting approximately nine minutes, he then made his way back toward Ned Pepper's bar. As he approached the bar, he opened fire.
fired 41 rounds into the crowd on the street and those waiting in line to enter the bar. Due to the number of bars and nightclubs in the Oregon District, a large police presence is not unusual. Within 20 seconds after the shooting began, law enforcement was at the scene, engaged the gunman, and shot him dead, all within 32 seconds from the time the first shot was fired, according to Dayton Police Chief Richard Beal. Unfortunately, in the short span of only 32 seconds, nine people had been fatally shot and another 27 were injured either by gunfire or were injured while attempting to flee the area. An autopsy later released on December 6, 2019 revealed that the shooter was hit by 30 rounds fired from police and he was found to have evidence of cocaine, alcohol, and Xanax in his system. He also had a vape pen and a baggie containing cocaine in his pocket. One person whose name is seldom mentioned when discussing the case, but should be, is Jeremy Ganger. Jeremy was working security at the front door of Ned Pepper's the night of the shooting. He says the bouncer saved his life. You can see him here alerting staff as the shooter rushes towards the bar. If he wasn't there, and especially if the officers weren't there, I mean, I know I'd be gone. One of the first gone. When he heard the shots start to ring out, Jeremy did not run for cover. He exited Ned Peppers and started getting those waiting in line into the bar to take cover. As the shooter approached the entrance to Ned Peppers that night, he was confronted by Ganger, who looked him straight in the eye. And for some reason, Betts did not shoot Ganger, but less than a second later, the police fatally shot Betts. Ganger said sometime after the shooting, I still have a lot of bad memories from that night. I still have a lot of guilt and remorse from what happened but we were able to help out about 250 people, maybe more. But unfortunately, the nine that passed away, that's what bothers me to this day. He said the first thing that went through my head when I knew what was going on is I've got family, I've got friends, and we've got customers in there, obviously. That was the most important thing, to make sure everyone was getting saved that was possible. For his actions that night, Ganger has been recognized by many, he was presented with an honorary WWE Championship belt by wrestler Triple H, something truly special to him because he is a longtime professional wrestler himself. He stated, The words they said to me about how I'm part of that family because I've been a pro wrestler for 13 years now, and to hear them say that, meeting everybody, hugging everybody, that lifts you up so high and your spirit gets so high. He was also recognized at UD Arena on senior night but Ganger doesn't view himself as a hero, giving all the credit to the police who ended the threat that night. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here today, Ganger said. I'm so grateful they were there. They are the true heroes that night, and they deserve everything they get and more. 
Ganger went back to work at Ned Pepper's, but he said he still suffers from PTSD from the shooting. The pain and the guilt you deal with every day, he said. I don't sleep well, still. I still have nightmares. And when I go to work, it's still all I think about. When I hear fireworks, loud noises, it still makes me jump. I'm a PTSD person now, an anxiety and depression person, and I fight it every day. I want others to fight it and for people to know that we're still all here to listen, talk, and help out. He, along with the community, will continue to heal, but he wants people to never forget the nine people that lost their lives that night. He is extremely proud of how the city rallied together in response to the tragedy and hopes that will always continue. People surrounded each other with so much love, he said. They say Dayton's strong, and we live it, and we speak it every day. The one thing about that night that bothers me the most, like I said, is someone tried to take all that away from us in one night. But we're still here, we're still working, so please come out and support us, because we are Dayton Strong. Now let's get back to the story. As police shut down the area, many ambulances began to arrive in the Oregon District. 16 of the victims were transported to Miami Valley Hospital. Of those 16, five were admitted and one was in critical condition. The nine other victims were transported to various area hospitals and the Kettering Health Network, with three being in serious condition and three in fair condition. By 10 a.m. that same morning, 15 of the 27 hospitalized had been released. Police reported that all the fatalities occurred outside the bar on 5th Street. The nine dead included six men and three women, of whom six were black and three were white. Four of the dead were in their 20s, four more were in their 30s, and one was 57. Two of the victims who died were also shot by police. An autopsy showed that a woman who was shot by Betts was already bleeding from a fatal gunshot wound when she was struck by two bullets that were fired by police. Had she not been suffering from fatal injuries, one of the bullets fired by police would not have been lethal. The second victim was shot by Betts multiple times and sustained superficial gunshot wounds from police. As a result of these findings, Montgomery County Coroner Kent Harshbarger ruled that the deaths were caused by Betts and were not a result of police gunfire. So who was the shooter and why did this happen? Shortly after the shooting, police identified the gunman as Connor Stephen Betts, a 24-year-old who lived with his parents in Bellbrook, Ohio a suburb of Greater Dayton, Ohio. A criminal record search revealed that he had only minor traffic offenses on his record. Police also searched his computer and his online activities. Betts made online references about Satan and described himself as a leftist and an Antifa supporter. Just hours before the shooting occurred, he liked a Facebook post in favor of gun control and several posts concerning the El Paso shooting that occurred earlier that same day. He had also liked a tweet on Twitter that called the El Paso shooter a terrorist and a white supremacist. Betts was also known to be a supporter of then-presidential candidates Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. An investigation concluded by the FBI in 2021 found that Betts acted alone and was not directed by any organization or aligned himself with any specific ideological group and that he fantasized about mass shootings, serial killings, and murder suicides for at least a decade. 
It was never determined if the killing of Bet's own sister was planned or if it was merely an accident. Two former high school classmates said Betts was suspended from Bellbrook High School after he made lists of other students that he wanted to kill and rape. The hit list, as it was called, was discovered in 2010 and resulted in a police investigation. He was previously bullied and had planned to shoot up the school, a classmate said. His high school girlfriend said he complained of visual and auditory hallucinations and psychosis and was afraid of developing schizophrenia. Just this past May, Adelia Johnson, who says she was dating Betts, broke it off after what she calls several red flags. He talked about like mass shootings and world tragedies like I talk about television shows. On August 4th, police and the FBI searched the shooter's home and found evidence that showed an interest in mass shootings and other types of violence, and that he had actually expressed an interest in committing a mass shooting. The individual had a history of obsession with violent ideations to include mass shootings and had expressed a desire to commit a mass shooting. A preliminary assessment did not indicate that the shooter had a radical or political motive. As of August 5th, 2019, police investigators stated that the investigation is ongoing and they are not prepared to speculate about a motive. On August 5th, Dayton Police Chief Richard Beal stated that we have a lot of evidence still to go through. Based on what we know now, we are not seeing any indication of race being a motive. Investigators are divided and have not determined whether he shot his sibling deliberately. A federal law enforcement official said that they are looking into whether or not the suspect was associated with an incel group. An incel group is an online subculture of people who define themselves as unable to get a romantic or sexual partner despite desiring one. Authorities found that he had ordered the firearm used online from Texas and that the firearm was transferred to a local firearms dealer in Ohio where he picked it up. The shooting in Dayton's Oregon district received both national and international attention. On August 4th, President Donald Trump tweeted, God bless the people of El Paso, Texas. God bless the people of Dayton, Ohio. In a later statement, he ordered that following both shootings, all U.S. public fags be flown at half-staff until sunset on August 8th. Regarding mass shootings, he said that the Trump administration have done much more than most administrations. We've actually done a lot, but perhaps we need to do more. Three days later, President Trump visited El Paso and Dayton. He spoke to the victims who were in the hospital, the medical staff, and the first responders. Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley also thanked the officers for a quick response, saying that it certainly prevented more deaths. She also spoke of how hard the day would be for the city and for the families affected. Ohio Senator Rob Portman and Governor Mike DeWine offered their condolences as well. But unfortunately, as with every tragedy that happens in our country, those on both sides of the aisle used the event to push their partisan political agendas. The shooting also gained international attention and was mentioned by Pope Francis during a speech at St. Peter's Square on August the 4th, in which he condemned the attacks on defenseless people and said that he was spiritually close to the victims and to the families affected by the attacks in Texas, California, and Ohio. Some countries even went to such extremes as issuing travel warnings to the United States. The Consulate General of Japan, who was in Detroit at the time, issued a notice stating that no Asians had been injured and that Japanese residents should be aware 
of the potential for gunfire instance everywhere in the United States. He called the United States a, quote, gun society, and for travelers to continue to pay close attention to safety measures. At least two other nations, Uruguay and Venezuela, issued similar travel warnings with Uruguay's foreign ministry issuing a statement warning its citizens traveling to the U.S. to, quote, take precautions against growing indiscriminate violence, mostly for hate crimes, including racism and discrimination, and Venezuela costing its citizens to postpone travel to the U.S. or to take precautions, given the proliferation of acts of violence and crimes of indiscriminate hatred. In the days that followed the shooting, members of the Southwest Ohio Critical Incident Stress Management Team and the Greater Montgomery County CISM team met with police who had responded to the scene to help them process the situation. Local blood banks and various local companies promoted donation drives to help the victims and to raise awareness of the importance of blood donation to handle these type emergency events. And once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the True Crime Monkey Podcast. And don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button as it really helps our channel and helps us be able to alert you when new podcasts are dropped.